Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got J-Bone. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And also with us today, we got Tank. Giving thanks to stories about bad guys this week, y'all. All right. Welcome to the show, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. We always cover old nations pretty hard on the show. I feel like we deserve a, sp- a sponsorship or something. <laughs> some swag, some hats, t-shirts, anything. anything. Please. A, a tweet. <laughs> so a boss could, tweet. If you could hook us up. But, uh, Jay, why don't you go ahead and go first with us today? All right. Uh, you mentioned Old Nation. Everybody's quite familiar with that brewery, thanks to the, our podcast and their great brew. I got a Boss Tweed double IPA. Definitely a favorite on the show. Hard hitter. Oh, nice. for sure a hard hitter. Um, but, yeah, show favorite for sure. And like I say to the nation, throw some hats and T-shirts and pens and just swag in general. Well, it, normally I go last, but... I figure I'll jump in next because I also have a Boss Tweed, but I got the Boss Tweed Guava, which is a limited edition beer. But we know Tank always brings, he always brings the fire when he comes through with some beers. So he come through with that limited edition shit. So we grabbed one of those guavas and we did us a little brew trade. I know you said you prefer the traditional Boss Tweed to the guava, right? Well, I mean, I wouldn't kick the guava out of bed. I'd give it a solid four out of one to five. But um, I'm still saying that the original's the champ. But yeah, I mean, it, it was light on the flavor. It didn't. It wasn't overpowering. It wasn't like guava. That was gonna be for both of you, Tank. You had it, and he's sampling it now. Um, is it too orangey or guava-y or like I have? I'm not a big fan of a lot of the fruitier beer, but like Sam Adams Cherry Wheat is just the right hint of oaky cherry. Like it's not too. It doesn't taste like Kool Aid mixed with beer. Yeah. So what do you think, Locke? What's the guava rating? That alone, like, is it real prevalent? You could definitely taste the guava, but it's not overbearing. Right on. I like it a lot. I see what you're saying about the Boss Tweed being the A1, but I feel like. That's like Rocky versus Creed. Creed is a great yeah. movie, but you know, you always well, you love you the original. Every single day having steak, having like a tomahawk every day, you know, and then you go to your cousin's house and his mom, it's still a steak, but it's like a New York strip. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And we know how I how I analyze stuff. I guess the way I look at it is you you take a beer like a tweed and then you want to throw guava at it. I'm looking at it like it should take the tweed to another level. It was almost its own deal. The fruit flavor kind of almost took away some of the depth that the tweed has on some of the kind of like the spicy undertones of the of the tweed. But anyways, like I said, as you could tell, just overthinking it way too much. But I mean, I I did enjoy it, just not as much as I thought I would when I bought two four packs of it. <laughs> yeah, that's like thirty dollars worth of fucking beer too. Yeah, it was my birthday week, so I figured, hey, it was uh, it was okay, you know what I mean? That was my little birthday gift to myself, and then probably ended up giving myself about three more birthday gifts of beer throughout the last two weeks. So, <laughs> well, that is the gift that keeps excuse. on giving, though. Like, yeah. it... no, I get what you're saying, though. I think uh, cancer called it like uh, complex. You know, it's got a lot of complex flavors. The Boss Tweed does. And definitely, I guess the guava takes from that a little bit because the guava is not overbearing, but it's overbearing enough to take some of the uh, complexities of the different flavors, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. the Tweed, like I mentioned, like for people that haven't had it, it is a hard hitter. Most IPAs are. But this, like you hit on, you said overthinking, not really. You were right in there because it's got a lot of spice nodes and nice endings. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of them things that just... You know, every time you drink it, you could find another flavor that you like about it. Yeah. Uh, Tank, before you get into yours, I want to take a guess first. Is that is that a Holmes? You're right. You can always tell their, their art is, you know, next level. Holmes is from Ann Arbor, which, I mean, you know, is one of my favorite cities in the world. So, anyways, we got Go the... Uh, right, right. We got the Mingle Sour Double IPA, and it says this brew contains strawberry, cherry, plum, vanilla, cinnamon, and milk sugar, which is a whole lot going on. What's it taste like? It's good beer. You can tell that it's strong. 
Uh, any so sour double IPA has got to be up in the 7 to 8 range. I don't know the exact count. Good brew, though, man. I mean, obviously, we're we're fanboys here, those uh, local brews, but this, one's, this one doesn't disappoint. All right, as always, before we get started, we got to make sure we thank Sixfo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro, and then Cancer, who lets us use his music in the mid-roll. We're using his song, Kings and Cannibals. You can follow him on Instagram at EyesBleedDefiance, where he does his artwork. He did our cover photo that you could see there. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Bad Guy Podcast or TikTok Bad Guy Podcast. And if you have a hard time finding them, you can go to our website, Bad Guy Podcast, and you can click all through the links there. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Tai Tho Huang. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. A.K.A. David Tai. Yes. Before we even get into that, it's clear where that's going. We've done that a million times with the Italian gangsters. You know what I mean? When you come over to America and your name is Tai Tho Huang, we're going to say, we like David. Yeah. Tai Thuo Hong was born January 30th, 1956 in Saigon, South Vietnam, which is now known as Ho Chi Minh City. In his early teens, he would work as a middleman to help supply American GIs with drugs. Asia is a huge producer of heroin. Poppy so. fields just outside the jungle, so like it's prevalent. On April 30th, 1975, the fall of Saigon officially ended the Vietnam War. The communists took over. Okay, he's 19 now. America pulls out. North Vietnam wins. It becomes comes communist town. Like I said, they changed the name to Ho Chi Minh City. Huang's dad was taken by the communists to a re-education camp, but not before he was able to get Huang out of Saigon and secure him passage to America. That's wild, man. I mean, re-education camps and, and that time of year, it just it doesn't seem that far away. I know it's getting in the 15, 60-year range now, but you're like, wait, man, that couldn't have happened that close. Like, yep, nope. They were, and in some places of the world, it's still on that shit. You got to believe in our political agenda or we'll, we'll put you in a camp. For sure. Wild. He moves to America. He moves into a Lutheran group home in Indiana, and he's the only Vietnamese person for quite a while. I'm sorry, did you say where where it was located? Uh, Indiana. Okay, Indiana. All right. We'll be out soon. All right. So he comes over to America as a refugee, goes to Indiana, can't stand it. He's the only Vietnamese person. He stays less than a year, and then in May of 1976, he took $150 on a bus ticket and moved to New York. That sounds like a Rod Stewart song. <laughs> I mean, in, like, if it's New York City proper, talk about a big-time transition there, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, He's leaving up. the city that goes to bed at 7.30 p.m. to the city that never sleeps. Like This is what I'm used to right here. This yeah. is more like it. So he adapted much better in New York. He was able to get jobs in Chinatown, working as a busboy. Drug yeah. dealer. All the good, <laughs> like what he did back home. All the classics. Yeah. He'd rotate jobs, work multiple jobs, bounce from job to job, just anybody that needed somebody to work that day. At one point, he worked as a dishwasher in like the world-famous Rainbow Room, which is like a high-elite club in New York. It's actually now like a historical site. To me, that kind of sounds like the scene from Scarface, yeah. you know, where he's doing dishes across the street from that club. Yeah. I didn't yeah. come to America to wash no fucking dishes. <laughs> it's time to do the come up. For extra money, he taught himself how to counterfeit watches. And oh, all right. That's the opposite. I thought it was going to go drug-related, but okay. He got so good at it, eventually built a small watch factory in his apartment. In 1978, he was able to get accepted to New York University. NYU. It's a good school. Yeah. 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 He met and fell in love with a fellow Vietnamese refugee, and the two were married within months. She got pregnant soon after, and they both dropped out of school and got a small apartment in Hell's Kitchen. It's the place to be, too. If you want to counterfeit watches and get rid of them, New York. I mean, I don't know. I you mean, make them up in your apartment and go sell them <laughs> right down the corner. Like, it's a four-minute walk to work, you know? It's, like, don't get me wrong. It's been a while. It's been 19 years since I've been to New York City. But anyways, when I was there, like, it was like, I mean, some streets were a free-for-all. You could just sell whatever you wanted right down the street. You, all you needed was a, a table and a chair, and you were in business. Yeah, that, that never changed. Like, you were there 20 years ago, and if you were there 20 years before that, and if you were there in the 50s. Oh, yeah. Barely able to support his growing family working in restaurants, he started spending more time on Canal Street selling counterfeit watches. Now, Canal Street is the main market street of New York. So he'd spend most of his time, you know, he'd stay up all night making counterfeit watches, and he'd get up bright and early and go spend the day out on Canal Street slinging his counterfeit watches. Problem was, he gets out there and he realizes that's not open territory. 
Oh, okay. But he's got a good little business going, but this is like the dead middle of Chinatown. And it's uh, controlled by all the gangs. So in order to... In order to stay on the street, counterfeiting watches, he has to start running with local gangs, making affiliations. And in 1983, he became a member of the largest Chinatown gang, the Flying Dragons. Man, no wonder it cost me like 12 bucks for five tacos back <laughs> in 2001, because that poor taco shop was probably paying cover to some gang. <laughs> Sell me their little bean and beef tacos. <laughs> Me and my buddies were all appalled. Like, how come a, a, a McDonald's combo meal is ten dollars here, but if you if you go two miles that way, it's normal price? You know, it's like, well, that's why because even McDonald's probably had to pay cover cash. Have you met David Ty and the Flying Dragons? <laughs> that's why. Now the Flying Dragons were the the street wing or the enforcement wing of the Hip Sing Tong. All of the Triad families basically are break broken into tongs. So the Hip Sing Tong is one of the oldest ones. It dates back to 1904 in New York, but it actually originated in San Francisco. Oh. So that Tong started in San Francisco. There was the huge Tong Wars in 1900s, which is one of those things I start doing research. Like I say the big Tong Wars, and you guys are like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I've done enough research over the last couple of weeks of covering different guys that to me it's like, yeah, the great Tong Wars of uh, 1904. Dude. And don't forget, <laughs> like in 2004, the Tong Song. <laughs> during the tong wars they were known for their uh axe fights oh damn and i mean look in these pictures right here i don't i, don't, I mean you you bump into one of these dudes man it's like it, it might be unassuming or you might in, realize right away like ah fuck i messed with the wrong dude would they look every bit the chinese counterpart of the italian gangsters that we're used to seeing oh yeah this guy right here the asian fred sanford he could be like an honorary uh I could see him with, you know, like Uncle Al or something. I mean, it's just like nowadays, man. I mean, I don't want to stereotype too much just by the way, like, people wear clothes or whatnot. But you, you, you might be able to tell that you done fucked with a gangster or somebody who's on the wrong side of the law. But back then, like, everybody was trying to dress up in their Sunday best is what I meant. Like, well, you could fucking accidentally bump into a dude and be like, Even oh, shit. with his Asian-ness, is, this, is that not Humphrey Bogart? I mean, <laughs> Like, look here, punk. I'm going to pump you full of lead. She. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you uh, you would get up and put on your three-piece suit and go work on the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, nowadays, it's like you might be able to, like, make you a, a generalization from afar. But back then, you're like, I mean, you really had to worry about who you were bumping, to, bumping into on the street. You know what I mean? Well, that's that whole scene from Godfather where Michael and a baker – I'm not sure if it was a, a baker or a flower guy, but either way, he just – put his hat down, flipped his collar up, and was like, here, stand like this. And he looked like a fucking gangster. Yep. Because it was tough to tell the difference. So David joins the Flying Dragons, and being a smart guy, he's got his own gig. He rapidly rises through, and he's soon allowed to run his own subdivision of the gang called the Vietnamese Flying Dragons. Not a lot of originality in the names. That's how it was back then, man, for, you know, <laughs> the flying dragons ain't enough. Like, well, you could start your own, but you got to put Vietnamese in the, in the beginning of it. Like, damn, man, it's not a, it's not enough. I'm just, a, I want to be a flying dragon. Like, no. One thing I wanted to mention. So the reason the Hip Sing Tong had the flying dragons is by now they had became the Hip Sing Association. So if you Google them, they're interchangeable. But the Hip Sing Association at one point was the Hip Sing Tong. But now to move away from the criminality, now it's like a community organization group that focuses on like politics and you know what I mean? I got gotcha. you. It's like a community group. It's the same dudes. But yeah. now it's not the Hip Sing Tong. It's the Hip it's Sing the Association. The, didn't the Italian Mafia have kind of, aren't they kind of doing <laughs> the same thing right now too? Exactly. They have, they got the family and then they got the Lords of Flatbush that yeah. are just out there as a street gang doing that, you know, that street level shit. But so that's how they had the Flying Dragons. Around this time, there was a heavy influx of Vietnamese refugees coming into New York. They were actually called, and I had to do extra research to make sure this isn't extremely racist, but they were called boat people. But they were literally called that because to escape Vietnam, they would throw them in boats and push them out, like kind of to sea, basically. And they would float around out there until a friendly boat from a different country Holy would pick shit. them up and then take them in as refugees. Damn, man. And, you know, sometimes you think your, your life is, is at a tough juncture, but I had never decided to just jump into a boat with no motor and just take my chances out. I'm waiting for a friendly vessel to come floating by. So, holy shit, that's wild right there, my friend. 
the first article I read that says the boat people, I'm like, oh, you can't say that. Let me check another one. And then I start reaching and the, you know, you start reading that we're proud to be goddamn boat people. We made it. Yeah. You know how fucking terrible that was? You better call me a goddamn boat person. Son of a bitch. You know what they called my cousins that didn't make it? Shark food. So boat people is not offensive. Damn straight. Now, these were primarily young men. So that was who was able to typically escape Vietnam. And a lot of it was because that's who the communists would kill. You know, that would be the uh, rising against you force. You know, so a lot of the women and older men were able to stay. They put them to re-education and then kind of use them to build their communist nation. But like all these of military age guys would be killed. So a lot of the family was, you know, if you got a 16 year old son and you're in, you know, Saigon, better push that motherfucker in a boat out to sea. Or they might bring Here they come with the AK-47, or you take your chances on the boat. Right. Well, jumping in the boat then, I guess. Comes comes around full circle. So you have primarily young men, but they have no family relations. There's very little Vietnamese women. It's like just primarily, you know, gang-age dudes with no families, no nothing. So they would come to the neighborhood, and they'd hear about David Tai, and most many of them would even seek him out. And he would always help out. He'd give them advice, help them get settled. He'd give them money, sometimes a place to stay. And he became, a lot of these guys started to look up to him as like a father figure in the in the community. And then what made it worse is they're already, so they're in a country, right? With no family. They just escaped a war-torn country. You know, so you got that PTSD. You have no family structure. You, you're in this completely different American country. And you come to America and we're like, for one, the Americans hated Vietnamese because yeah. the Vietnamese because of the Vietnam War, you yeah. know, not realizing that we were also fighting for the v- Vietnamese over there. Yep. But, you know, we're dummies, so we don't take that into consideration. We're just like, oh, Vietnam. Yeah, they was my uh, daddy was killing you guys over there. Like, no, my daddy was fighting next to your dad. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. Like, um, but we didn't know that. So they just, you know, treated them all terrible because of the war. So they would go to Chinatown, which is where they thought that. They had some kind of a clout, you know, structure. They go reaching out for David Tai. But in Chinatown, the Chinese looked down at the Vietnamese as less than two. So they're kind of like, all right, you can hang out in Chinatown. You are Asian, but we don't like you're not Chinese. It's an easy decision, right? I mean, you're going to what are you going to do? You're going to go it alone. You're going to try to find a little bit of brotherhood, a little bit of support. Maybe some guys that are just like you. It's, so it's, you seek out David Ty. He's like the Asian <laughs> fucking Simon Cowell. He's putting a boy band together. Like While the Vietnamese Flying Dragons grew in numbers and wealth, they held a lower status than the Chinese members of the Dragons. They would refer to them as coffee boys, but then they would also use them for the riskiest and most dangerous jobs or the crimes with the longest sentence. So anytime they had like... Dangerous robberies, hijackings, murders. They'd be like, that's for the Vietnamese guys. But they were excluded from the most profitable rackets, which was drugs and extortion. So most of the Flying Dragons, they're doing drugs and extortion, and they're making money hand over fist. And then they'll like throw them like, hey, we need you to go take out this guy. Hey, we need you to go rob this thing. And they're like, We okay. decide today we're going to rob a bank. You two, go yeah. rob the bank. And, and you get your 30% off of it. Like, wait a minute, we're robbing the bank. Yeah. What do you mean we get our 30%? Guys, I got this great idea. Who's doing it? Oh, that's why I'm here. So they get sick of this over time. And by 1987, David Ty puts together a large enough crew and he made enough money that he said, fuck it. And he walked away from the Flying Dragons and took his guys with him. All right. I was wondering if this was going to happen when, from, from right when they had to be called the Vietnamese Flying Dragons. You can't be surprised yeah. if that happens, right? I mean, you know, way to way to get off on a good foot. Flying you welcomed dragons. them in, but said you guys have to have an asterisk by your name. like. Yeah, it's not a good way to start off your business. Like right off the bat, like, hey, you can come in. We really like what you bring into the table, but you can't be with us. Like you're technically with us, but. And you can only do the shittiest of all shitty shit. It's like the organized crime to a, to a one-year contract for a professional sports <laughs> player and shit. Let's see what you got, kid. Yep. Uh, David and his crew continues to grow. They continue to make more money. Begins to refer to his group as the Canal Street Boys. And then he got powerful enough that other Vietnamese street gangs started turning him for help too. So he would bring on these other gangs out of loyalty, the Vietnamese gangs, because he knows like these guys are all having a tough gig. They need work. He would employ other gangs for protection, enforcement to extort local shop makers into selling his watches, or as watch assemblers at several small factories that he built in safe houses across Chinatown. 
I like the name too, Canal Street Boys. It's almost like a slap in the face to the, you know, to the Flying Dragons. Like, oh, you guys remember where you found me and made me join your gang? Well, now I broke off and I named that shit after the street you found me on. <laughs> yeah, remember I had to be part of you to work this? Yeah. And and I mean, like I said, it goes back to it because chances are there's like, that's what they called them in the local paper was the Canal Street Boys <laughs> strike again with their fake watches. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, those rascals <laughs> i realized it after i said it like ah yeah. yeah that's what the fucking headline was so after a couple years canal street boys are building up and he's getting a tighter relationship with all these other vietnamese gangs and then in june of 1989 david throws a big meeting at a manhattan japanese restaurant to officially organize his gang with all the smaller independent vietnamese gangs which they called born to kill off of the poster of the helmet from the Full Metal Jacket, Stanley Kubrick's movie poster. Okay. So they would go by Born to Kill, but they'd also be known as the BTK. To make them sign up, David Ty passed around a contract that they all had to sign. Now, the contract said that they were not allowed to talk to cops. They weren't allowed to participate in any criminal activities that were not approved by the boss. They were allowed to leave the organization if they wanted out, but the penalty would be that they had to scrape off all their tattoos and leave the city of New York permanently. Ouch. So there was an out. It's not going to be pretty, but we'll, we'll, we'll give you one. But that's better than most semi or organized crime because, like, when, a say, the biker culture, they'll remove your tattoos, but uh, there's no in any form. Like, there's the street gangs, blood script. There's no retirement plan. There's no... You can leave if you want to, like, in a fucking coffin. As Tony Soprano said, what are you, a hockey player? Uh (laughs) (laughs) BTK's bread and butter were extortion and their counterfeit watch operation. So he got to a point where he was buying bulk watches and having them shipped from Hong Kong. And then he'd rebrand them as Rolex, Cartier, and Gucci in his watch factories. Then his crews would force the Canal Street merchants to purchase his watches. So they had different techniques for it. One of them was obviously they'd just go in and be like, hey, we're going to kill you. And some of them would just fold. Sometimes they would just take the approach where the gangs would just come in and threaten to burn the place down. David Ty would come in and say, look, I know these Vietnamese guys. I can work with them. I'll tell them not to burn the place down. And in return, you just sell some of my watches here. Yeah. Isn't it, wouldn't it be a lot easier just to take a business approach to this? All you got to do is sell some watches, and I'll take care, I'll take care of the dirty work. You just sell some watches. Yeah, that's definitely Cartier. No, it doesn't match anything in their catalog, but it's definitely Cartier. David Ty would later claim that in 1988, he made $13 million in watches alone. Okay. I was going to ask at one point, like, geez, man, they must have been banking off these watches, but that answers it right there. $13 million, that's a lot of fucking watches. Yeah. Well, what you have to figure is Rolex watches, Cartier watches, they sell for... 12 grand, so he's selling a knockoff for, like, I'll take a G or 1500 a piece. In 1988 or 1989 money, you know, $13 million is It might not be double. It might not be $26 million, but... I've really been off on the... Uh, I usually check the inflation rates automatically when I I'm do I'm going to say about $17.9 million would be $13 million. What did you say? Seventeen nine. It's uh, 29 it's actually 28.6. Oh, geez. Oh, I said it wouldn't be double, which would have been 26. Like, whoa, it's over double? More than double. Let me make sure I've put 1988, not 1888. Yeah. Yeah, 1988 to 2020. Well, I mean, that was a time when being a millionaire meant something, you know? I mean, yeah, I was going to say that's that's a good that's a good bit of inflation. Man, but still, I mean. But still, you would think 13 million is almost 30. That's uh, 13 million in just watches. Yeah. So, I mean, they were doing other crime in addition. I wonder if that was their small time or their big time part of their whole intake of crime funds. No, the uh, the watches was definitely their the, go-to. Okay, all right. I mean, they did a little bit of everything, but watches is where they made their money. He built watch factories. Like, that's intense. He brought in a gang, like, uh, you need us on extortion too? Like, no, you work at the plant. Like, dude, I, I joined a gang, so I didn't, you, I'm on the line. Yep. Like, hey, you're in BTK? Yeah, what's up? What do you do? Uh, I work on the line down there, stamping. I put all the small hands on. Hey, it's a different gang, all right? I can get out if I want. You know, it's progressive. They're, they're not as, it's not like other gangs. I I'm make watches my on my own time. Yeah. Okay. All right, what we're going to do, we're going to take a smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Round here. 
with me Spit like a baron, rulers of bread like Kaiser Roll with the goal and get beaten like outsiders These amateur animals swing in the wrong jungle Climbing the wrong lines mean these lions will snuff you Concrete wilderness building our own structures Writing our own order, appointing our own judges Overthrowing authority, morally lack conscience Fighting for survival with rivals with throat punches So, so when we left off, David Ty had built up a big ass gang and made a ton of money and counterfeited watches and working in the extortion gang. Under Ty's leadership, BTK became a Chinatown powerhouse. Uh, since they were Vietnamese, David didn't think they had to follow any of the traditional rules or laws of the power structures of the Chinatown criminal underworld. So he's kind of like, whoa, I don't really got to do what the hemp sing tong says because I'm not Chinese. Yeah. They and they were their, very clear about that. They had their chance. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't got to do that. Well, hold on. Hipsing <laughs> clan ain't nothing to fuck with. With a large group of young men from war-torn country, they all had no family connections or connections in the neighborhood. They escalated their level of violence as their rackets grew. At one point when they had a raid on one of their watch factories that had like $100,000 worth of damage, David Ty ordered a police car blown up. Mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> You it, don't want to start warring with the law directly. It wounded two police officers and 11 other citizens. Well, real uh, quick, sure. when he, like, it's kind of retro, like 10 minutes back in the cast. But when they broke off from Flying Dragons because they didn't want to be at the Vietnamese Flying Dragons, how well did that go off? Was there any, like, repercussions from that? Because uh, it didn't I mean, seem like because the story just flowed until now. But as we always got to beat that drum. When you start attacking cops, judges, or federal agents, I'm smelling Rikers Island coming up because, goddamn, they don't like that. So, I mean, but go ahead. I just wanted to be. I I wasn't 100 percent clear if yeah. there was any repercussions from breaking off from the Flying Dragons, because <laughs> I already know without you telling me the story, there's gonna be some re- goddamn repercussions for throwing you know bombs at cop cars. 
Elmhurst Park, which is in Queens, there's a violent Chinese gang, which they attacked a bunch of BTK members. And this resulted in a shootout with the BTK, where a 12-year-old girl got shot. Then, on August 5th, 1989, while standing in front of his shop on Canal Street with a couple BTK members, two flying dragons came up to David, and they insulted him and spit it on the ground in front of him. Uh Uh-oh. Which they said in their culture is a huge insult and i feel like you know some things cross cultural boundaries (laughs) i don't care what culture you are where you're from or what age you are or something we all know yeah that transcends so so let's just clear that up for the world like in russian (laughs) in portugal in fucking canada anytime you spit (laughs) near a man's feet you know that's the ultimate we all know that's the fuck you that i can't slap you right in your fucking stupid fat face whether it's 2020, whether it's 1820, whatever. 1920, yeah. don't, you spit by my shoes? I know what that means. Like when you were younger and they'd be like, oh, no, burping in some cultures isn't that, um, you know, offensive because it lets you know that they, you enjoyed the meal or whatever. It's like, no, you spit at his feet. Like, that's pretty, it's, yeah. there's no, there's no, that's it. There's no Like that, that one not only is offensive in all cultures, that transcends cultures. Nobody that doesn't speak the other dude's language doesn't know that's a fuck you. Like, oh, what? Okay. The guy, his name's Lantran, who was kind of his number one. Lantran pulls out a 38 in broad daylight in the middle of Canal Street and shot one through the side of the head and one through the back, killing them both. Ooh. Talk about eye for eye, tooth for tooth, huh? <laughs> right. So, yeah, you raid his shit, <laughs> which is a totally illegal. I'm blowing up the cop car. You're going to spit near my feet? I'm blowing off heads like broad daylight. Yeah. By the time the police arrived, all the shops on Canal Street were closed, and no witnesses agreed to make a statement. Wow. Canal Street boys indeed. (laughs) Well, on the corner of the city that never sleeps, like, hey, there's a million of you. Before, cameras were everywhere. Nobody. They began committing crimes and robberies, including establishments under control of other criminal organizations. They said, we don't got to follow the rules because we don't answer to anybody, so we can hit whatever we want. On one occasion, the BTK robbed an underground gambling den, which included several Tong members. They were all robbed of their money, credit cards, jewelry, and stripped. By now, everything's kind of, people's getting shot, just getting robbed, little kids getting shot. Cops getting attacked. So to put an end to the chaos on the streets, a Chinatown hip-sing Tong boss, a guy named by the name of Benny Ong, a.k.a. Uncle Benny. He's also called Uncle Seven. Benny Ong was referred to as the godfather of Chinatown. And he reached out to Tao to attend a Kong Su, which is a sit-down. truce. So he invites him to a sit-down. A neighborhood seen as a show of respect for Tai to be invited for a sit-down. David Tai refused to respond or acknowledge the invitation. Oh, you don't even go to the... You got to go to the sit-down. Well, he refused to meet or negotiate. My man, I'm against you. I'm blowing up the cop car. But man, when you get called, you get called. That's man. part of what you signed up for. You better be ready for the, the war fuck. that comes after, right? Or this uh, David Ty, he's on his own uh, accord, though. I like it, though. Like, there's some real rebelness here. Like, Damn. even in the construct of organized crime, he's like, you know what? You said the word progressive. Like, he really is. Yeah, at the beginning when we when we started, and then he he eventually mentioned, you know, hey, he's building his numbers up. I was like, well, this is a intriguing character, you know, yeah. especially to break away from the historic i mean more powerful the, the asian you know family like he said from the early 1900s and then just to be able to come in in a relatively short amount of time and break off independent like this yeah man he's got some juice behind him so far so uncle benny didn't like that no, i no. bet he didn't but uh david ty still had a good operation uh hip sing tong opted to take out one of ty's top lieutenants a guy named ving vu who was gunned down on the street corner at 1 a.m. while leaving a massage parlor. <laughs> Keeping with the respect, though, I would think, like, uh, Uncle Ben would have uh, wanted to take out fucking uh, David. Because at this point, he's not making money off the watches. This dude already broke off from them. That's a mad no to respect to not um, be like, well, fuck him. He's done. He wants to refuse my sit down. I'll take out one of his best friends. Like he's he's safe. Yeah, you're so, right. Maybe maybe they are really scared of. Uh, well, not David. scared. I don't I think mean, they're scared of his numbers, but like he has the numbers to go off. They don't want the war. Yeah, they don't want the fucking heat. That's like Sun Tzu, right? It's not in every war that you win. It's in not having to fight the wars if you don't have to. Yeah. So even if you could beat them, 
Like, is that a fight you want to fight? Yeah, I think the, Wait, you're the gonna... Vikings kind of follow the same kind of... Like, you got to pick and choose your... You don't you don't want to fight just because you know you can win, because you don't... You well, because you're always going to... Even in the most landslide, one-sided, you're going to have losses. There's no shutout in war, you know? There's no... Nobody raids and not gets one of their own killed. But, like, you cut the, the snake off at the head. Why didn't he just yeah. kill David? I think he still wants that watch money, bro. Oh, I mean, thirteen a, million a year is thirteen million a year, right? Well, let's yeah. talk our times. It's thirty million, like basically. So and you don't even want to show up for the fucking meeting, man. I'm Uncle Benny, you know how pissed he had to be. He's <laughs> in there like, hey, I push you guys off for another month. It's another million. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to keep clocking my cash all to myself. So Dave Ty is furious. He throws a two-day funeral for Ving Vu through the streets of Chinatown, up and down Mulberry Street, and then down Canal Street. Which they put him in the hearse on Canal Street, and they walked the procession uh, with banners that read BTK. <laughs> and I just love the I just love the banner, you know what I mean? It's like, the like they're like a fucking leisure club or some shit. Like, yeah. there's not even like there's no way you can get out of that one. Like, wait, are you part of the BTK? No. You're not you're not with the canal boys? No. Well then why were you marching up this fucking street with this crudely made banner that says BTK Canal Boys and shit? Maybe that's why there's only like six. With Chinese guys written in Chinese it. guys' blood. <laughs> what they're doing too, like you think like what I think a lot of people when they hear it are gonna get lost on the two day you have cousin Johnny laid out for three days and the funeral's on the third day. They didn't have a two-day funeral. They have a two-day, we're walking his casket up and down. We're having a funeral procession for two days. We're just passing this, this Stanley oh. Cup around, dude, for like, <laughs> dude, for two days? Now, that's just to piss Uncle Ben off, you know, like, hey, look at this. Here we go. Here, here he comes. He's coming back. You thought you shot him when he was gone? Here he comes. Look. Okay. This is the Bing Vu party, bro. Yeah. And see, All day, and every day. Because at first, when he said that, I, I initially, like, yeah, but all funerals are two or three. Like, oh, the casket pass around for two days. Like, okay. This is like. Day. Motherfuckers' arms are tired after this two days. It's like, day one and a half. That's why there's only yeah. six people. Uh, well, look, they the got 1,400. Sign. They got 14. Got tired of it. 1,400 pallbearers. Like, yeah. yeah. They're out in numbers. Yeah, they're they're like, like, hey. Who shifted? This it? my dude right here. Why don't you take a look? So Uncle Benny doesn't like this either. So now they're just like, they're spitting on the ground in front of each other. Like, I'll kill your boy. Like, well, we'll pray through your towel. We'll, we'll. Throw his body in front of your restaurant 22 times an hour. Like, okay. In retaliation, when the procession reached the cemetery, several Chinese gangsters disguised as mourners opened fire with Uzis on the crowd, hitting five mourners. Damn. Disguised as mourners. Yeah, they strolled up in fucking black suits. And perfect, stuff. perfect disguise. <laughs> Some up. Asian dudes at a big ass fucking rocking ass three day like Woodstock festival Asian funeral. You sneak right in. Sneak they right yeah. In they, they I could see how nobody fucking seeked them out. Like only only a small group knew something was wrong when a second BTK boys uh, Canal Boys sign showed up. <laughs> like some dude showed like wait we but only like, made one sign. Like, oh, shit. And, and what do you tell the started. investigators? Yeah, they were wearing brack, crying. Like, yeah, they looked oh. like all the other people there. I had a picture, but it wasn't for usage. And I put these on Instagrams. But they buried him with that flag on his Well, yeah, but uh, not on his casket when they buried him. And I feel like if you're going to bury him with that, like, you could have got that airbrushed. <laughs> for like what? I mean, you're making 13 million a year. I feel you like you could it, get that airbrushed for like, yeah. What, like. Like 400 bucks, you'd get a fucking dope ass fucking Canal Boys flag. Somebody at Gibraltar Trade Center could have been, could have did a way better job on that bitch than that. So, five people died at the funeral, five mourners. No, nobody wounded, just five wounded. Yeah, see, Uzis are pieces of shit. Of course, it's compact, but it's like the 25 of machine guns. You know what's even worse than an Uzi? A Mac 10. It was big from our time, the Tech 9. Okay. Like the Tech, Tech 9, yeah. Mac 10. The Tech yeah. 9 is like the worst gun ever. It, like physically, it's a shitty gun, like cheaply made. But even just that design of at least the Uzi, that clip is in your hand. So it's not awkward. To, it's like comfortable to hold. You know what I mean? Like brass Yeah, the Tech's like an old grease gun, yeah, but like, like the, with a modern, the, like. Uh... All the weight's on the front, but it's too small to hold with two hands. So you just got to hold a heavy gun that's front heavy. It's like the worst design for a gun ever. 
Which makes it makes me wonder because there, there's a. Do you guys ever remember there, there was a rapper named Tech Nine? Mm-hmm. And like, Mac Ten. Why'd you pick a shitty gun to name yourself mm-hmm. after? You must not have did any research into like did you did you actually like guns? Because you <laughs> you picked a poopy gun to name yeah. yourself after. Terrible name. Good rapper, bad gun. Yeah. Way better fucking rapper than gun. Okay, people shit on revolvers all the time, right? But earlier, Lantran pulled out a thirty-eight and dropped two motherfuckers. On yeah. Canal Street. <laughs> you ain't kidding. <laughs> Shit, the proof's you know in I mean? the pudding, baby. You know, these motherfuckers had Uzis at a funeral and didn't kill nobody. <laughs> like, look at that. There's people everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they killed one motherfucker. <laughs> but the shooting started a big war between the Vietnamese on China and against the Chinese. It's a long, bloody war. Many deaths on both sides. They keep duking it out. And despite the growing wars, David <laughs> Tai had plenty of dudes. There's just there's a lot of young Vietnamese guys that were young and angry and looking for work, and they were down. A lot of violent motherfuckers. You see MS-13, the tiny rascal gang, whatever. You get a bunch of angry, war-torn motherfuckers in a small area. Lord of with, flies. Yeah. Without moms. When you put dudes together without moms. Oh, hell yeah, man. They start fucking the, the, the BTK and make a you, shitty batter. You ask a dude, one of, like after he gets done doing some regrettable shit, like one of his biggest regrets, probably be like, oh, my mom's going to find out about this. Uh-huh. But, you know, you know, you got some dudes... Where your your choices, you got communism on one side of the ocean, or you got to float in your boat, wait for somebody to pick you up, and then you come over here. You're like, well, fuck, man, I just came from this country where it was we didn't have half the shit we got here, and my choice was either being poor as fuck and working every goddamn day on a fishing boat or fuck coming over here and I can be a badass street gangster. Hook up with the, like I said earlier, the Asian Simon Cowell and yep. me and his <laughs> I get all shoddy. Vietnam boy band. I fucking shot. He's going to carry me through the streets for two days and shit. To piss off the guy that shot me and then uh, shoot up the funeral and then, yeah, fuck him. So I could see why they, these dudes are ready yeah. to fight for him. They they were like, well, I mean, we got something to fight for here, ideologically. I mean, I mean, however, you know, bad. Go and fight for because, like, I like, what's their plan B for real? Like you said, there's no going back to communism. They'll just get killed. Like, what's their plan B? So, despite the growing wars, Ty continued to grow their criminal operations. So he starts working into uh, robberies and extortion out of town. Selling counterfeit watches, he'd find the best jewelry stores. And he'd work out plans to set up big robberies. And then he would move in on big, like, tourist spots in other countries, similar like Canal Street. You know, not you're not going to, like, the Tiffany's place. Tiffany's you rob. But, like, you know, Sam's Boston Hotspot or whatever, there you go to, you know, their Chinatown and be like, hey, so you would need, like, 10,000 watches. So they started doing, like, robberies and extortion nationwide. And then he started making inroads with Vietnamese gangs across the country. So he comes up with this big plan. He's like, you know, I took all the New York Vietnamese gangs and made the BTK. I could take all of them across the whole country. Either he's like a super charming guy that's easy to follow or he's got a huge ego where he's like <laughs> everybody. I mean, I could, I did it in New York. I should be able to do it any, everywhere. But he's got something going there. I mean, that's how you take yourself from, you know, local to uh, nationwide and from nationwide to maybe global, you know. So at this point, he started to reach out. He started to make connections with the American Mafia, too. So he started working out deals on bank robberies with connected groups, trying to work out deals with the American Mafia to work all the neighborhoods that they worked on the Italian side to work all the Chinatowns, basically. We do the Chinese side, and you do... It was like a little franchising agreement. Yeah. We've already got the the network in place. (laughs) That's what I think is crazy, is they're like... uh, so you're Italian, right? Yeah. So you get the Italian areas? Yeah. Like, okay. And you get the Chinese areas? Like, yeah. You're Chinese? No, we're Vietnamese. But we get all the Chinese stuff. And that's why the mob kind of dug them. They're like, well, that's well, that's ballsy. You're Chinese like- enough for us. <laughs> I wonder how that how that was spun. That's interesting now that you said that, because I hadn't even thought about that angle of it. I wonder if that was spun into anything. Like, you know, before we had a hard go with the, uh, you know, the, the Chinese gangs, maybe now the new wave of the Vietnamese guys, and maybe they're easier to deal with. Maybe we could, uh, get our know. foot in the door and then take it over. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, that's all they're interested <laughs> that's in. That's always right? the plan, right? <laughs> yeah, man. You in? We'll take them over. Same fucking say hello to the good guys <laughs> or the okay guys, motherfucker. So when they dug in for war, like his gang, like backed him to the fullest. So there's a writer, TJ English. We got uh, that book right there that we got that Paddy Whacked. 
He's one of the best writers in New York. He did a book called Born to Kill on uh, David Tai. In his book, he referred to David Tai as a megalomaniac who seen himself as a modern day matter in Prince. Okay. Yeah, I'm the fucking. Ego. I took the Vietnamese. We just came over here with shit, and now we're selling watches all over the country. I Blowing can't really blame them, though, you know, because I mean, you like you said, like as like how Americans at the time probably looked like anybody who was coming to America that was Asian was Chinese. You know what I mean? So I mean, I guess I can't blame him for his uh, megalomaniacy. Uh, megalomania mania megalomania yeah yeah, so i guess i can't blame him for that because i mean i mean part of it was justified but still that answers my question from earlier i mean i guess this guy just had a fucking crazy ego i'm the chosen one i'm neo a lot of his gang would hold him in supreme reverence they referred to him as on high which i seen okay this is weird i seen that and high means oldest and wisest brother right oh okay but then when i looked it up Oldest and wisest brother is actually on Cho. On High is actually his second oldest brother, but like it's like a southern Vietnamese thing because those were usually the guys that the uh, the first brother would be the guy that inherits everything, and then the other one would be the second brother. So the first guy, the first brother got everything, and the second was the one that had to like fight for everything. So totally fits. I thought it was like our I, English, like on high, like what Christians call Jesus on high. <laughs> No, I'm probably saying it wrong. It's A-N-H-H-A-I. Oh, okay, okay. Like on high. Like two different words. But either way, it meant they dug them. So their their commitment to them led to an unparalleled level of violence uh, to maintain control of Chinatown and Canal Street. And they started blowing a lot of shit up. Anybody that even thought about throwing their money towards the Flying Dragons, they'd blow up the restaurant. It's funny, it's just like the the restaurant's name has bang in it. And yeah, it bang. Like I love Vietnamese food, though. Side note, it's delicious. On uh, March 10th, 1991, there's a jewelry store owner named Sen Ban Ta that refused to pay his extortion. It actually seems like he, he refused to pay his extortion because they robbed him. So they robbed him and they were like, you know what? And you need to pay us extortion on top of it. And he was like, well, fuck that. No, you already robbed me. I got me. nothing to rob me. What do you mean pay you? I don't got no fucking product to sell no yeah. more assholes. You fucking rob me. You give me back my shit. <laughs> and uh, he went to the cops. So on March 10th, 1991, uh, Lan Tran shot him in the head in front of his 10-year-old nephew in his jewelry store. Lan Tran shoots a lot of people in the head. That's his move. And right, 38, no Uzis. Broad daylight in front of your nephew. He don't give a shit. And, but you know, mob rules, right, guys? Like watching mob movies, mafia movies, organized crime movies. Even all the way back to like middle middle ages, you don't kill a dude in front of a younger person who could possibly come back in the future and take mm-hmm. your ass out, right? Well, because that's who the movie's about. Yeah. Is that little kid that watched you just... Yep, usually, Michael right? Corleone yeah. traveling back to Italy to yeah. kill Don fucking Siege and fucking... Right. Nice job, Lantran. You just created a flashback scene. <laughs> way to go, dude. Now, this is going to be the scene when, the, when this kid's Batman... He's going to remember that time. That you had trans- a chance at retirement And just before, like the Godfather, no now the Thong Song 2 is going to be way better than the Thong Song 1. So, <laughs> The whole time as the violence escalated, there's getting Nin Go. He was a robber, but he wasn't like a really violent kid. He was real young. You know, didn't have nowhere to go, and he was robbing. But they got super violent, and they're bombing shit, and he's kind of like, ah, this really ain't cool. And you see this place they're going to bomb is a Vietnamese restaurant. So he got kind of sick of David Ty, and he was like, hey, look, they're just down to do whatever, and we're just killing and blowing up everything, and I don't think that's cool. So he starts snitching and wearing a wire. Okay. And, uh, and you know, they signed a contract, and you're not supposed to do that, so they assumed nobody was wearing a wire. But, <laughs> but you know, that's <laughs> Asian, Asian culture, man. You know, it's your honor is your, you know, your word is your honor, you know what I mean? Like, it's honor means something in Asian culture. He goes months wearing a wire and just collects tapes and all these people in the organization. And then he finds out that David Ty is going to blow up the Fobang restaurant. And if I, and he actually blew up the, a different restaurant that was the wrong restaurant. And he's like, that sucks, but we still got to blow up the, the original restaurant. <laughs> Not the first time on the podcast somebody said the wrong motherfucker. They actually had the good foe. Good, good job, motherfucker. I like that restaurant. <laughs> So when he finds out they're going to blow up this restaurant, he's like, hey, we got to do something now. They're going to blow this place up. So the FBI, or not the FBI, it's the ATF. The ATF puts together an operation real quick, and 
they found two members of the BTK in possession of bombs within the vicinity of the Fobang. They didn't catch them actually blowing it up. They caught they, them on the way to blow it yeah, up. As soon as they found those guys with the bomb equipment, that gave credibility to all their everything else they had in the wiretap to get all their other raids. So they immediately raid, raided David Ty's house. So did David order the ATF be blown up? <laughs> so they raided David Ty's house in Long Island. He was found with a cache of illegal firearms, bomb-making equipment, and a counterfeit watch factory in his basement. The student at Watch Factory. Yeah, I know it's their bread and butter, like, but you wouldn't. Henry Ford didn't have a like a a small manufacturing plant <laughs> under his his basement in Dearborn. You know, he had a factory for making cars. Once they caught David Ty, they caught ten other members of the BTK leadership right off the bat. In addition to Engo's testimony, they flipped several other members. And then with the leadership in prison, the Chinatown victims came out in mass to testify. So they had 24 witnesses from Canal Street that were willing to testify against David Ty in court. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, oh. I feel like they had to narrow it down to 24. Open like, and shut, slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, whatever you want to call it, it's done. Well, that's crazy because you think about it. At one point, they were killing people on Canal Street and everybody shut down their store. I feel like that's Uncle Benny, right? Like, that was local David Ty, though. That was when I was part of the community and stuff. That was before I decided to take this franchise uh, nationwide and start recruiting from far and long. Any Chinatown in the in the country, you're now under David Ty's control. It was a nice slightly... little homie operation. It was yep. local, you know. We should support local. Yeah, they yeah. were. The, he was the old nations. Yep. Did you sell out to Miller? In the end, seven members of the BTK were convicted on racketeering charges. David Ty was convicted of 14 charges, including conspiracy to commit murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. David Ty and all the leadership went to jail. Now, the BTK is still in existence today, and it's actually still nationwide, but it's primarily like a, a street-level gang. Oh, okay. All right. You know? So the name is still around. It's just the... the, the Not the same operation. I got gotcha. you. It's they, probably not as, as organized now. It's probably more, you know, they make their own decisions from geographic area to geographic area. It's like the Kimura style in the mob. When Instead of you having a consistent membership when you start working in clans, you yep. know, just kind of. But there's... It wasn't the same since David Ty went down. <laughs> the most recent news would have been in 2020. April of 2020, David Ty, who's now 64... Petition for critical release citing health concerns related to the coronavirus pandemic. Oh, okay. All right. So he tried. He tried jumping on that bandwagon. Right. Who hasn't? <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm sick, bro. Let me out. I'm out. You guys want me to uh, spread this shit around in here? He said if they let him out, he'd go live with his family in Texas, his sister and his brother-in-law, and that he had no criminal connections. It was denied, citing that he was still a threat to the public. At 64 years old, he's currently held in a federal medical facility in Massachusetts. And I mean, for the credit of that denial, who are you who are you kidding, David Ty? I mean, you, you came to this country, you didn't know anybody, you single-handedly organized one of the biggest Vietnamese mafia-style organized crime syndicate-style gangs, at least, I've ever heard of. So yes, you can't come out and go move down to Texas and pretend like you're not going to fucking find uh, a Chinatown down in Texas somewhere and start right back up. I mean, and, and we thought it wasn't capable, but we've covered dudes, you know, who on, on the podcast before who somehow come out to clink after in their senior years and just pick right up where they left off. I mean, it's not, it's not common, but it's happened. Well, look, Sammy the Bull snitched on John Gotti. Went into witness protection, got kicked out for starting an ecstasy ring, went back to prison, got back out of prison, and now he's on YouTube telling stories about it all. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> hey, Sammy the Bull. And it's weird because people were like, rat. And he is rat. He snitched on John Gotti, but his career is so fucking deep that honestly, that's like, that's old shit. Yeah. Like, John Gotti's story stopped there. He was like, oh, yeah, I snitched. Look, it, I came up with Gotti, and then I left him in the dirt. Dude. He's it's the opposite of somebody who's reformed. He's like, look, I was a snitch. I came back. I went right back into crime again. It's, I mean, I'm true blue crime again. You know what I mean? There was a point when I was on the clean side of the law. I was a double my, agent. I, I was tricking you. I paid my dues now. How many years of being illegal do you got to do before people forget that one little snitching? I, yeah, I repaid my dues. I redid my, I remade yeah. my bones. So that's the story of David Ty. 
So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. So now you guys haven't seen a picture yet. If we were to cast a movie about David Ty, who would you cast to play him? When I thought of somebody who's charismatic, who might be able to pull this off, I thought of uh, Randall Park from Fresh Off the Boat. Once we found out he's a megalomaniac, he was kind of in his own head, his ego. He Obviously, it's, it seems like he did a little bit more of the button pushing and less of the actual action. You know, it seems like maybe he didn't get, it on his, he'd get, his, get his hands dirty as much. So maybe I think of him more as a talker, as a managerial kind of position. And it just seems like the guy, that actor could pull it off. He could maybe turn it on when it comes to time to be violent. Anyways, uh, I think he could pull off the uh, the job of a megalomaniac, um, charismatic leader who can bring people together and convince them that they don't need to bow to the uh, establishment of the Asian <laughs> gang culture and we can break off and be in our own little Vietnamese segment and, and have power. So that's who I picked as the guy from Fresh Off the Boat. Jay, do you got an idea? I don't know the dude's name, and it's like not as cheesy as it sounds, but the guy from The Walking Dead, Glenn. Oh, yeah. uh, Stephen uh, yeah, Stephen Young, I think is his name. I could see that, too. He's a good actor where he could do like the cool, like the smooth talking and shit, but he'd have like a, an angry vibe. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and for you know that's a pretty popular show, so a lot of people have probably seen that show, and they'd be able to jump right in. All right, so here's a picture of David Ty. And I was going to go with the dude who played um, Harold from Harold and Kumar. I think now that I've seen this picture, it might have been a little bit more uh, you know, physical feature-wise, maybe a little bit closer match to that guy. But, yeah, I mean, not – I mean, I know that what's in the look, but – when I look at this dude, I wouldn't think like you're mob boss. Yeah, like <laughs> you're all following running mob anything. Boss. So that guy's name is John Cho. He's like, hey, I showed you guys the way of making these counterfeit watches and selling them. We've made 13 million in a year. Like it doesn't matter how boyish I look. It doesn't matter <laughs> how innocent I look. Let's go out here and take Chinatowns from from fucking New York to San Francisco. And it worked. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. All right. So now. We got to rate them on the DEFCON scale. Now, the standard DEFCON scale is five to one. Five being the lowest, one being the highest. In the Bad Guy podcast, there's no good guys. So five would be Lee Murray, who's your coke dealing, bank robbing, kidnapper. And at one, you got the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they kill people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate David Ty? Well, I got all sorts of weird criteria with my scale. You know, I, as I mistakenly called out earlier in the show, he did have a family, and for some reason that that adds that actually adds to my bad guy score. Like, if, wait, this dude was able to hold down a family and be a notorious national level crime syndicate head. That's fucked up. It adds a little bit more to the bad guy perception. I I want to give him a one. I can't. I wanted to give him a three. I can't. So I'm ending up at a two because what was he responsible for? Himself? Not sure how much, but syndicating across the country, taking over Chinatown's um, Vietnamese gang populations across the country. I mean, you know, he, him, himself, after he was done, we it's documented, his gang went to more street-level stuff, independent, non-organized stuff. So when he was in power, was the peak of the btk so i'm giving him a two and i can feel good on on a solid two rating for him uh, with all of that uh rambling as my reasons <laughs> well it, as me too i give him a two i can't give him a one because he wasn't pure evil wasn't the body count wasn't right huge on. but um a compliment to him is like what you touched on a little bit is the unification and organizational skills like kind of bringing all Vietnamese and Asianists together, and then the knockoffs are not a hell of a watchsmith on the business end. You know what I mean? Like that made them thirty million dollars in the late '80s. So there was enough bad there to make them a two with the blowing up cop cars and being a labeled a megalomaniac, wanting to just blow up shit, and then you know a control freak, but uh, not pure evil, not enough to be a one. So solid two. I think the world is kind of lucky that he was. 
if you put like a governor on a race car, I think the world's kind of lucky that he was confined to the Vietnamese flying dragons as a small gang. Because if he would have been in charge of a country or something, he's like one of those dictator dudes that try and yeah. rally a troop and take over the world. People love him, and he just keeps thinking, "Scrow." His people seem to love him, and he seemed to feed off that, but like in a violent way. Yeah. Like, where he came from, in Vietnam, and not not far from there, like fucking Cambodia, and fucking... Laos. Yeah, Laos and shit like that. That shit was... That's what the leaders of them countries were. They were just... They uh, were fucking, like, crazy motherfuckers. Best dude in the village, yeah. Yeah, but they took over the whole goddamn country. It's funny, because they... Like, he didn't want to be... Like, I know his pops sent him away and shit, but he didn't want to be a part of communism, but he was almost... I mean, I guess he wasn't really a dictator per se. Like I keep saying progressive. The one progressive thing I'm, I keep on mentioning is that like, well, if you want out, it's cool. We're just going to scrape your tattoos and you can't come back to the city. Like that was as progressive as it got. Other than that, he wasn't trying to meet up with Uncle Ben. He wasn't trying to take progressive steps towards like, hey, no. But it's like, no, motherfucker, I came here. You had your chance to be progressive yourself and let me be part of your gang and live peacefully. I got my watch trade. You got your whatever trade. We, you know, form like voltron but you got your chance i had to separate and make my own shit so anyways I, i'm sorry did i interrupt your score my bad no, <laughs> no i think uh yeah i mean i think i go with the two i don't think he killed a lot himself but i think he commanded a lot of violence and i think that's kind of the same thing to a point land tran would probably be closer to a one because he yeah. was just down to fucking well the evil kill whoever wherever it's pretty prevalent in the story it's there just not enough of it there was compliments to him there was much like the business sense the wanting to run the watch thing the wanting the more than just being pure evil like the organization of the asian gangs coming together he had like somewhat of a good head on his shoulder but just not to take away from the badness because we all gave him a two but just this much less violence he's leaning it's a heavy two it's it's almost up there at a one yeah, but like, if he was more violent himself. Yeah, if yeah. He, uh, I think he did have that. Is that yeah. he was kind of just even to one incident it. where he put the fucking ink pen through somebody's eyeball or something like that, that like it. ice pick or something like. Okay, you would get moment. it. Yep. All right, so we'll call that a DefCon two. Take it to DefCon two. You heard that, gentlemen? DefCon two. All right. Before we go, you guys got anything? No, I was. I, was, I like the. Uh, I like the story this week, and uh, uh, just thanks for having me on. All right, well, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Yeah, say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy coming last place. Spread a dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead Spent my birthdays in the trap, we had to work with what we had She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the camera And I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands A hundred jugs, a hundred scams, ay, ay. So I don't money grabbed a hundred hams I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run and tell your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. And her ass fake And she in love with the bad guy But bad bitches never act right She act up into that bag fly She did a turn around in one night Say hello to the bad guy The good guy coming last place You smell that dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace Say hello to the bad guy Good guy coming last place 
better dope when I pass by.